Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor Joaquin G. Molina invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Thanks, Lord, for the opportunity to represent your kingdom here on earth, O oh God. And us having different talents and giftings and graces, Lord, each inspiring the other, Lord, to be able to reflect your glory to the ends of the earth. We pray, Father, that you align our hearts with your heart, that our thoughts would align with your thoughts, and that our ways, Father God, would reflect the ways that you desire for us to walk, Lord, for we are all in this for your glory. And without you, we are nothing. Without you, we could do nothing. And I pray, Father God, that we would be an encouragement to those that surround us, that purpose to glorify the name of Christ and walk in his wisdom and seek and pursue his truth with passion. We pray, Father God, that you would make us lamps to a darkened generation, that our testimony would shine bright and that our life would cause people to glorify you in heaven. We give you thanks for these 21 days of the Isaiah fast where we are able to walk in a brighter light. We're able to move in a realm that you have allowed us to emphasize on for these three weeks, Lord. And already the testimonies are pouring in of the opportunities you've given us to fulfill your desire and your pleasure. So we pray, Father God, that you continue to strengthen us and sustain us and give us great creativity to be a blessing to those that live around us, to be an inspiration and an encouragement. And we pray, Father, that you would bless your word tonight and prosper it in our hearts and align us up with the end times and your desire for us to be prepared and to walk in your provisions. And we know that you are causing great deliverance for those that are seeking you, like Caleb and Joshua, advanced in the experience and call of knowing you, they were just as strong in their old age as they were when they first came out of Egypt. We too, Father, want to be strong and vibrant in our faith, even though we have come to you even many years ago. We want to renew, be renewed, be restored, be refreshed, and walk in renewed strength, O oh God. And I pray, Father God, that we would finish this race like Paul said, with joy, this great calling you've given us and ministry to serve you in the last days, that it would be our priority and that we would pursue it with all deliberate passion for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is Revelations 19 and verse 6 that is the shout that could be heard in heaven at the end of the times when the church has finished her calling. Um, we want to be there. Revelations 19 verse 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the God, our Lord, omnipotent reigns. Verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. She has prepared herself. She lived for this moment. Uh, many people think that this is unrealistic, and they're not living for it, and they've thrown the towel. And uh, uh, the saddest part 
of listening to this, of people throwing the towel, is not when just anybody throws a towel, but when leadership throws the towel. When people that are called to be the leaders are saying, I'm discouraged, I quit, I'm, I'm giving up. And so here it is that she has made herself ready, and verse 8 explains this a little bit further. And part of being ready is that it was given to her to be arrayed in fine linen. Uh, this, you can call it robe that is given to her is clean and bright, for the fine linen are the righteous acts of the saint. I want to propose tonight that as we pursue the call of God in our life, that righteousness is increasing in our lives. And that righteousness is um, the fabric of those that will be ready at Jesus' coming. So you don't have to feel that it is some spiritual covering uh, that no one can see, but I believe that there is great, um, there's great accomplishment in the fact that in the beginning, man was stripped of his garments as he sinned, and he found himself naked and totally ashamed before God. So you know the story in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve lose their covering, and this is the state of many men and women all around the world. In verse 7, Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, And the eyes of both of them were opened. They were consciously aware of the fact that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves coverings. And that has been man's dilemma since day one. We continue to run many places in many thoughts trying to um, put forth a covering, uh, put forth something that will remove from us these two aspects of being naked and ashamed. Um, being naked, uh, they sowed fig leaves, and verse 8 says they heard God showing up in the garden, and um, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And my... my uh, Suggestion tonight is a lot of people uh, are missing in their participation with the purpose of God for their lives because of two things. Because of the overwhelming guilt and shame and feelings of inadequacy in this world to do anything for the Lord. And this is something that God dealt with right away in the garden. He killed a lamb and he brought skins to them and was able to cover them. But when he asked them in verse 9, the Lord God called out to Adam and said to him, where are you? Where, where are you? And, and that, that's a question that's still being asked today to man. Um, where is man in the calling God has given him? Where is his participation and his role as a champion? Where he's falling short, he's involved in other things, he doesn't count himself worthy he has no encouragement to get in the race, and so he is absent. Like this man here, um, verse 10, he says, I heard your calling, I heard your voice, I heard that I was supposed to be part of this process of a gardening, of a family, of a ministry, but I was afraid, and I was fearful. And, and that, God has not given us a spirit of fear, so where, 
when you're walking in fear, you know you're walking in something that the devil is occasioning in your life, something that got in there is not supposed to be in there. You're not to be motivated by fear, but by faith, by the encouragement of doing the impossible. Uh, But fear was in his heart because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Now, um, the devil is an expert at removing our cloak and our covering as the Lord is restoring to us our dignity as he's putting back things that are supposed to be in place. Let me tell you something. He, one of the names of God is the lifter of our countenance. He's the one that, what's going on? You know, you're ready. God, there is no shame. There is no guilt. There's no nakedness. There's no hiding. There is no fear. He has done a good work in that regards. But there is an arch enemy and one of the expertise of the devil of all times, uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12, we have his resume there. Um, it says, you were the seal of perfection. And there wasn't anything, there wasn't a, a glitch in your life. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody knows who made that angel. Anybody have suggestions? God. He's the one that perfects. He's the, he's the author of perfection. Um, and so here he says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And that covering is a covering that God wants to give his people. And the devil has been an expert in this realm because he was a benefactor of God's precious covering Uh, Verse 13, you were in Eden, a garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. God is able to begin as a fine uh, worker of fine jewelry. You know that that, um, as a diamond is cut on every level, another ray of light comes in and it reflects a greater brightness. They were explaining that to us the other day. A diamond uh, a jeweler was telling us um, how these things work. I-, I want to tell you, if you let the Lord cut you, you're going to reflect an incredible glory uh, of brightness and light. And he's into that business. He-, he told us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, they will be my jewels. I'm going to perfect them. And with every cut, the glory of God grows greater. I make them my jewels. But going back here to Ezekiel, um, he was covered with every precious stone. And I want to, to, as we get into this, uh, suggest that if you stand still, God is going to do an eternal work in your life. I'm talking about you're just going to be surrounded from every direction in the glory of his goodness. And so sardis, topaz, diamonds, Ezekiel 28, 13, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold, the workmanship of your pipe organs, uh, timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. That that inward uh, flow of the melody and harmony of God that is precious to those that surround you. Um, Some people question that to be a possibility. And, and so I always remind them, you know how you curse like a sailor? Well, the opposite is God's work. 
The devil has made a good work on the opposite direction where you open your mouth and, and what comes out of there uh, is straight from the pit of hell. But you put yourself in God's hands and your thanksgiving will be the ebb and flow of God's harmony and melody. And so he says, verse 14, you, all these things were prepared for you on the day you were created. You were anointed cherub who covers. So his expertise in the trades of God is to uh, just, just go about doing amazing you know, this is, I want to suggest that this is the work of righteousness. When, when you're moving in that spirit of God, and he was, he was moving about, the, he was called the anointed cherub who covers. Now, it is obviously his fallen from grace. Um, he has sinned, he rebelled, he disobeyed. Um, the Lord established him on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. All these things, verse 15, you were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in your heart. Iniquity. Until you started doing your own thing. Can I get an agreement tonight that when we do our own thing, things get ugly? Really fast. And, and it seems to be that we are able to walk in, in that, that covering. But um, these, these product lines of CoverGirl are big. How many know CoverGirl? Avon. Um, all this makeup that we put on are coverings. And you can tell a woman will not go out of the house. She will not go out to the street. She doesn't want to go to a party or friend's house until she feels covered. Uh, and, and that is the aspect of many people in relationship to um, how they live life. Uh, and, and the Lord wants us to come to this place to have an authentic and reality of a covering. And he intends to walk us in that purpose. Now, the devil, uh, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that he's... The expert disguiser, he's masquerading, he transforms himself, he's putting on a front, and um, he's missed out on the design of God, and he's led us in that direction. But as we prepare here to line ourselves up with the heart of God for the last days, as the devil is uncovering and stirring up strife, Proverbs 10.12 says that when you walk in hatred, you have an inability to be a refreshing to someone's sentiments of nakedness and being ashamed. Those two aspects of being exposed um, and, and withdrawn as a result of those sentiments. But it says hatred is continually stirring up strife, but love covers all sins. So this aspect of covering, and one of my favorite stories of all time, um, and I, I think it's true to everyone who reads that, is the life of Joseph. That there's 12 brothers, and the father comes with a robe of many colors, 
and he, he just surrounds him and keeps him. And that, that speaks volumes of what the Lord wants to do for us and what we so long for. Genesis 37, verse 3. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age, and he made for him a coat of many colors. And so I, I want to suggest that as God continues to pour grace on your life, every, every aspect of grace, every aspect of God coming over you is a new um, design in the fabric of his cloth and glory. Um, there is no glory of God without righteousness. So for a lot of Christians... They, they are stunted in their ability to adorn themselves. The Bible says this, this woman was righteous because of white linen robes. And this, this linen are the righteous acts of the saints. So you see the, the capacity you have to walk in righteousness, not righteousness um, the feeling of not doing wrong, but the going about to do right everywhere you go. I don't know since we started on, on Sunday or not, uh, what, is the, what is the sentiment, but it seems to be that my days have been filled lately with the opportunity to walk in expressions of His righteousness. What would God do in a given circumstance? And that is the cloth that brings to us the value of precious expressions. And the Bible says that because of these acts, verse 4, Genesis 37, 4, those that were surrounding, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, uh, they hated him and could not speak with peace. They could not get on the same page. And I, I want to... Uh, don't allow somebody's being upset with you to keep you from doing the supernatural. Um, as Cain sees Abel sacrifice to God, he grows weary and, and goes and kills him. So there was, there was sentiments of, of a negative sort there that, that led a brother to have contention with the other. Here the brothers also get upset. But... We, we continue on to move to Psalm 91, and we see here the calling of God for our lives is to be enveloped by the shadow of the Almighty God, to clothe ourselves. He says, he who dwells in this secret place of the Most High, he who, who comes and allows himself to be covered, there's a lot of things we could be covered for, and... Um, I was talking to a man yesterday morning, and he says, look, I'm interested in everything you're saying. Could you please take the word God out of what you're saying? I like all these concepts of not walking in shame, not walking in, in nakedness, but just keep God out of it. I said, listen to me. He is the God who covers. And he covers in great manner and expression. Um, we're going to see that here. This has always been one of my favorite verses. Verse 4, he shall cover you with his feathers. You shall be under his wings. You shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield, your buckler. 
your protector. I will say, verse 2 of the Lord, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, he's my God in whom I will trust. Surely he will deliver me from the devil's trap of walking in shame and nakedness, of walking without the covering. Um, Some of you won't know what I'm talking about until I talk along those terms. Uh, You go uh, with a friend to a a nice restaurant. You have dinner and and you you pull out. Oops, I, I don't have, I'll cover you, I'll cover you. I'll cover for you. And so in the context of God covering for you, it's the expression of many things, but basically him saying, I have your back. I have your back. Um, In every form and expression, our disattachment from God has us believing we're going to be out in the cold. We're not going to have someone have our back. Uh, But this is what the Lord says. He shall cover you. He shall keep you under his wings. He, you, there'll be a safe haven there. Well, to what degree? Uh, verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. Verse 10. No evil shall befall you. There's not going to be an area where he's not going to cover. And so I was talking to a woman that came to see me last night and, I, uh, you know, yesterday afternoon. And, and I said, your life is an expression of no one got your back. It's just you're left out on, in the cold. You're alone. And that's not proof evident that you're walking with God, that, you're, that you are listening to him and walking in his ways. Because you have made the Lord your covering, Verse 11, the angels, he will have to keep charge over you in some of your ways, you know, in all your ways. He assigns his angels to you. And you know what Wellington says about angels? They got your back. They're ready to defend you. They're ready to deliver you. And so it goes on to verse 14 where he says, Because you have set your love upon the Lord, therefore he will deliver you, set you on high, because he has known my name. When he calls upon me, verse 15, I will answer him. I will be with him during difficult times, times of adversity and trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. And I will bless him and satisfy him with a long life, verse 16, and I will show him my salvation. So in these days where there's going to be a lot of evidence, we're going to see this uh, being exposed, being distraught. Psalm 32, verse 6. For this reason, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters they shall not come near him. Because you are his hiding place. Verse 7. You are his hiding place. You shall preserve him from troubles. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. This, this surrounding is, is also that, that covering effect. And I, I was talking to the men last night. What is the sentiment and expressions of a wife who doesn't feel covered? Anybody want to guess at that? 
Anybody want to raise your hand? And I, I got some testimonies. What your wife feels like when, when she feels she's exposed, when she feels there's no footing, when there's no backing. Um, and so that, that is a real... Uh, how many have ever heard their wife says, I have nothing to wear? You're like, what? <laughs> and so that is what God wants to address. And if the church doesn't come to the place to have incredible covering, it will begin to doubt and accuse God and walk in fear. And I've told men a lot of times when a woman doesn't feel covered and protected and provided for, she'll run to another tree. She'll run to the wrong tree. And so we don't want to be doing that. We don't want any, any of the devil's invitations. Uh, if we're not careful, we begin accusing God and question his love. And so the returning to our first love is just that. Lord, I've made a lot of things my covering. I have lifted up, and you'll see this. You'll see that when men removes himself from the covering of God. That's what Adam and Eve attempted to do in the garden. The devil says, you're not going to need God anymore. You'll have your own back. And so they were deceived. And so the next thing we see happening is that they are naked and ashamed. But it is God's glory. And what's going to happen in the last days that he says, his glory will cover the earth. And we don't, okay, what's the glory, what's glory? Uh, Proverbs 25, verse 2. The glory of God is his capacity to cover, to conceal a matter. So how many need God to, to have something covered in your life? A realm of where there might be a tendency of fear, uncertainty. Uh, you know, you're, you feel exposed. And you need God to show up. And, and I promise you, if you allow God to be your shadow, your refuge, you can trust in him. And he shall surely deliver you from all the treacherous schemes of the devil to strip you of your clothing. The glory of God is to conceal a matter, uh, to cover. So when we're talking about man and the high levels of worry and anxiety about the future, about money, about career decisions, about retirement, about children. Guys, I want to tell you something. I'm covered. I don't know what, I can't answer for you. Are you covered? Say, I'm covered. Covered. I have complete peace. I have complete joy. We sit down with a friend of mine who we both graduated from law school and we're both working hard. And you know the story. I've said it many times. And he says, Joaquin, you know something? I'm concerned about you because I, I, you know, I just bought a real good disability insurance just in case one day I have a car accident, I have to be on a wheelchair and I can't work as a lawyer no more. I can't read. I can't write. I'm just like, man, that's, that's rough for you. And... Uh, and then if that policy doesn't cover me, I got an umbrella policy that has two umbrellas. And then uh, should something happen, then I got another policy that kicks in. And, then, and he looked at me and he says, I'm worried about you. I said, don't worry about me, man. I'm covered. I'm super covered. 
I'm super covered. And so I have peace that, that many have not even come near to experience. And when men go around seeking other things, um, it's, it's, it's horrible to the ears of a God who is a faithful God. And that's what happened many times to Israel. And there are example to not follow after in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2 where there's a great declaration. O heavens, give ear, O earth, for this is what the Lord is saying. I have nourished and brought up the children, but they refused, they rebelled against me. I have nourished them and brought them up. I've raised them, nothing lacking. And if I were to do that with a donkey or an ox, it would know its owner. A donkey would know its crib, where it has provision. But Israel does not know, and my people haven't even figured that out, what levels of my covering are upon them. Verse 4 Alas, this has become a sinful nation. They have rebelled. People laden with iniquity. The same thing that caused Satan to lose his covering. They've become a group of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have left their covering. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away and walked back from my provision. So when we do that, God addresses us in verse 5. He says, why should you be stricken again? Why should we go through this whole process again? You rebel more and more. The whole head is sick. You're not thinking right. And the whole heart is weak and faints and walks in fear. From the sole of the foot to the, even to the head, there is no soundness. Just a lot of people being real hurt with wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up. They haven't been healed. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers are taking advantage of your land. It is desolate, overthrown. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden, as a city that's been taken advantage of. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us to a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. We would have become like the city destroyed by God. So as we walk in the pursuit of further covering of the Lord is our opportunity to notice opportunities for righteousness. And that walking in righteousness will be a covering of peace that will keep us. If you're doing the Lord's work, the Lord has your back. And he even says like this, he says, get yourselves right. Start, start changing your course of conduct. Verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away evil doings before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. And then he begins to say, seek righteousness. Go and tell the person that's doing wrong to stop. I, I want you to know that you're that, that's righteousness in the land. If we don't do that, that's part of our work. I, I'm not one to tell people that, listen, if you don't, who will? If you don't speak up, 
That's, that's part of your, your coat of many colors. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. How do you defend the fatherless? You rebuke of an absent, negligent father. You tell a guy, take responsibility. Do, do what a man does. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. How do you do that? You, you talk to husbands. Um, I had a wife come to my office this afternoon, and she says, look, we were talking last night with the men. Whenever there's a nation that sends their women out to go to war, that is shameful. Thank God we have one woman that agrees. Whenever a nation has to send out its women to defend the nation, that only speaks of one thing. There are no men. And that's an abomination. That's, that's a real twisted mindset. And so when I told this woman that it's an abomination for a nation to send out the women to war to fight the battles, she goes, I know that's how I feel when my husband sends me out to be the sole supporter of our house. It's not to be. It's not to be. So in that regards, God is seeing this from the heavens. And he says, go and do the plight for the widow, for the one that's without man. He says, come and let us reason together. What's holding you back from doing righteousness? If your sins are dirt, red, like scarlet, I, they shall be white as snow. What are the areas in your life that are not showing forth the righteousness of God. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse, if you refuse, and we're talking about that this year, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. These are established truths. So verse 21 says, How this faithful city has become a harlot. Now, again, uh, a harlot is not co being covered for. She's out there covered in her, her own disgrace. It was full of righteousness. Righteousness was all over the place. So harlotry is the opposite of righteousness. And I'll let you just think about that a little bit. When God is not covering you, that's unrighteous. When God is not... The expressions, like I told the woman yesterday, she's like, I'm close to God. I go, people that are close to God don't have suicidal tendencies. They have peace. They have joy. They're, they're in the refreshing of his presence. So we get to that place of righteousness and we can see, sit there and enjoy God's covering. Verse 22, he says, your silver has become dross, dark. Your wine mixed with water. You're watering the word of God down. You're making this thing, instead of being wine, you're making it Kool-Aid. Your Christianity is, is weak. It's pathetic. It's not influential. It's not even keeping you on your toes with regards to diligent service to God. We were talking like that with the men last night. What does our Christianity look like? 
I, I, in, in our conference, men's conference in Texas, I told Texas this. You have made Christianity so comfortable to your children. They're going to start converting over to Islam. And they're going to turn your churches into mosques. And they're going to be the strictest of sex, sex cults, services of consecration, ungodliness, because your Christianity is so pathetic. Instead of asking how radical you could be for the Lord, you're asking how lenient I could be. How worldly can I be and still be a Christian? Uh, that's a pathetic standard for a God like ours that deserves us to be in the house of God all the time. The Mormons sit there and ride their bicycles for the God Moroni, which is a false God with a perverse and degenerate religion. And they, they, wear, they wear their nice clothes and their nice ties. We want to wear our thug clothes and say we're Christians. And the Jehovah Witnesses are diligent uh, preaching their false gospel. And the last time you told somebody about Christ, if, if, the, if we needed to depend on you for evangelism, it would be pathetic. We should be winning souls every day. Every day, Lord, give me a soul today. Give me two souls. Let me sit with somebody and give them the salvation that's free, but it cost our God so much. Amen. You mixed water with wine. Verse 23, those called to be princes and live by principles are rebellious. I'm, I'm telling you, this church is going to produce princes. Like there's, we, We're going to start a school of princes. We're going to start producing princes. And people are like, what, what's a prince? You're going to see them. They're going to take the land by storm. They're going to represent the kingdom of God. They're going to follow in the footsteps of the prince of peace. I, I don't know how we missed it. I mean, we grew up talking about the royal rangers. Listen to me, that's pretty good, but we should have been raising up princes from a long time ago. That's why I know that the Spirit of God is upon the earth already, giving us some, some real powerful revelation of what we should be doing. The princesses are rebellious. The compa they're a companion of thieves. They don't want to give their time, their talents, and their treasure to a God who's given them all things. They're not offering these things to God. They're out there in the world. And so everyone loves to take on a bribe. They're selling out. And they follow after rewards. Amen. They'll pay you more at the nightclub than they will at church. And the truth of the matter is that it's priceless what God has given us. Priceless. I won't go into those scenarios, but, but there was a man here. He kept on questioning, well, I'm serving God all the time. I'm serving God all the time. You know what the Lord did? He brought somebody and says, I want to pay for your daughter's college tuition. But he never even dreamed to be a reality. God, in an instant, did not forget his labor of love for the saints and for the house of God. God is the one who repays He's the one that's a faithful God. There's no one ever going to do anything more than what God will do for you. And so there it is. He says that they, 
They compromise for a bribe. They follow rewards. They're following money. And they're, they're swiping away like Esau. The Bible says for a morsel of food, he lost his birthright. He lost it. And even though he cried and he wanted it later on, he couldn't have it. So let us not lose our inheritance. How did they do this? They did not defend the fatherless. Again, going to righteousness. Nor the cause of the widow that came before them. Therefore, the Lord says, verse 24, the Lord of hosts, I will rid myself of all those who stand as my enemies and adversaries. I will turn my hand against you until all the junk is away, until everything is removed. And I will restore judges as at first and counselors as at the beginning. Afterwards, after God deals with this situation, verse 26, he says, afterwards they will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. And so it's awesome to see that God is calling us in his tender mercies to, to hit the road of righteousness. To go back and, and reconsider what our devotion is. What our consecration to the Lord is. Uh, Psalm 22 verse 3 he says, you are holy God. You will sit upon a throne of the praises of your people. You're a high and lifted up God. Verse 4 he says, our fathers trusted in you they placed their confidence in you and you delivered them you were able to to come and be there and and to it's really powerful verse five what did he do that he was able to deliver them they cried to you and were delivered they trusted in you and you removed the shame you remove that sentiment that I'm not worthy, I can't be a man of God, I can't be a prince. I, listen to me, you start doing righteousness, you start thinking righteousness, you start hanging out with righteous people, and that will robe you. There will be robes of righteousness. And there will be no devil in hell that will tell you you're not a servant of God. Amen. Isaiah 61.7, he said, instead of shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of walking around like you're a thug and a delinquent and, and a derelict and a, and a dishonoring, begin to do the righteous acts. Return to your first love. And you'll see this begins to cover you like the feathers. You'll take on a different light. Instead of confu confusion, instead of being lost and not knowing what to do, you shall rejoice. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double God will begin to bestow upon you the measures. Yesterday, uh, I was in my office on Sunday, and somebody came in, and they said, Pastor, you know, the little kids are really into lollipops these days. I don't know why. Um, they said, Pastor, um, could I have another lollipop? It was his third. And, and that was just a day. You remember that, that we, we had a powerful day on, on, on Sunday. And I said, yeah, go ahead and have three and four. And they were like, Pastor's gone crazy. He's never let us have three or four. And when they went in there and I said, because the Lord's measure of blessing is abundance. Amen. And the little kid goes, what's abundance? <laughs> what's abundance? Abundance is when God lets it all flow out. Amen. At measures that you, you have to give it away because it's too large. Amen. And that is his measure. Hallelujah. 
And we must press into that measure. Because to, to be able to fulfill the, the calling of God, the high calling of God, is to have measures that abound towards grace in every direction. And so instead of shame, you shall have double. Double is your portion. They shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. And only those people who say amen. Because unbelievers won't get anything from God. The measure of the land for God's people, double, double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. A measure of joy that far exceeds our understanding. Verse 10. This is powerful. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has, say with me, clothed me. The covering of garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. He's given me an opportunity to transfer into another realm. How? By walking in the righteous acts of the saints. Standing up to deliver the poor. To cover the naked. To visit the stranger. To receive the stranger. To visit the foreigner. And so this is the provision to cover me, cover me with robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride just fills her life up with jewels and not Jules Molina with the adornments of precious. Verse 11, as the earth brings forth flowers and blossoms, as the garden causes the things that are sown into it to spring forth, the things you sow in your life, so the Lord will cause righteousness Amen. and praise to spring forth before all the nations. We need to be these people in this time. That, that is the opposite of darkness. This is let your light shine. Amen. Let us walk in great feats of righteousness, of joy, of peace. That's our garments. The Lord will cause righteousness to spring forth before all nations. And then the fruit of this righteousness is found in Isaiah 32, 17. What is the fruit of righteousness? What is the fruit to know that you're doing the right thing? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's peace. It's prosperity. It's blessing. It's fruitfulness. Enough be said about people that do not prosper. And they want to prosper Without righteousness, it's not going to happen. We need to press into this. The work of righteousness, the consequence of doing that, which pleases the heart of God, will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, there'll be quietness and safety, assurance. Nakedness and ashamedness and fear are out. Because you're doing the right thing. I want to suggest thoughts, words, and actions. That's all there. And, and, and we're not to play anymore. I pray that this church this year stops playing and, and, and making little, you know, the little comments that are so inappropriate. That have no reflection of righteousness. That have no, 
no sounding of assurance for those that are pressing into the things of God. Isaiah 48, 18 says, If only you had paid attention to doing things my way, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the ocean. If you took it serious, took it to heart, pressed in on it on every side, if you had paid attention, if you had really paid the price, things would look different. You played with my word, you... you you put, you know, you added to it. You took away from it. You have no peace. You have no righteousness. Job 29, 14, uh, the verse, one of the oldest texts in biblical context, I put on righteousness as my cloth, as my clothes. Justice was my robe and my head covering. I walked doing the right thing all the time. And so I'm excited, you can tell. Uh, and we finish like this in Revelations 21.2 where it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride dressed for her husband. She was adorned. She was covered. She allowed these garments to come upon her life. And so 1 John chapter 2, 1 John 2.28 now, dear children, continue in Christ so that when he appears, there is so much all over you that you're confident. And what else? And not ashamed as he comes at his coming. And how is this covering of confidence and unashamedness? Where is it? Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has been birthed out of him. And so uh, we press into this in these days at greater levels, uh, greater, you know, the devil has us convinced and, and you go figure it out. Uh, somebody told me yesterday uh, we want to throw a party for our, our baby is going to be born as a bridal a baby shower. And we want to have just a, a little bit of alcohol so the worldly people don't feel uncomfortable. When's the last time a worldly person says, we're just going to have a little bit of music so Christians don't feel uncomfortable? See, they don't have a problem with doing their thing. We're not to compromise. We're the light of the world. We're to be light, and light prevails over darkness. We're not to flirt with sin and darkness. We're not to walk about with harlotry. You know, there is evil, and then there's the appearance of evil. And the Lord says, neither of them are fit for a prince. A little folly in the life of a wise man will ruin his whole fragrance. His whole perfume is gone. A little foolishness. Just a little bit. You give the next time you, you go to give somebody a drink, make sure you just drop an ant in there or a fly or a roach. And you'll see the expressions of people grossing out. Because they're not to be insects in drinks. And they're not to be foolishness in a life of a righteous person. Not even the, you know, even to see a, 
a glimpse of fear in the heart of a warrior is nauseous. Nauseous. And the Bible says, tell this man, and I'll read it to you because I know some of you guys don't believe me. Deuteronomy 20, where God says, if anyone goes out to battle with fear in his heart, he's to stay home. He's not to participate. He's not to involve himself in the battles of the Lord. Oh, Pastor, this is hard. Of course it's hard. Of course it's hard. God's calling you to die. Wellington Boone calls it bloodless martyrdom. You're supposed to die to what you want to do, that he might live, that his glory might be seen. You're not to go around acting like a worldly person. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, the officer shall speak to the people. What man is there who is a fearful, faint-hearted coward? Let him go and return to his house before he makes his, um, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. We don't want no contagious diseases today of cowardness and fearfulness and flirtatiousness with the world and the things of the world, and we're not to flirt with these things. Let's stand, ask the musicians to come forward, and I, I just wanted to bring a message to encourage you that we're, we're moving forward into the heart of God, into the purpose of God, um, and you, my friend, have the grace of God sufficient to carry you into being a righteous warrior and to go out through the land and stand up. And don't be, don't be discouraged when you're with worldly friends to stand up and speak righteousness. And throw down the, the, the markings of God's boundaries. Mark out the territories. And God told Moses, you draw a line and tell people who are with you to get behind you. And who's not with you. The earth opened up and swallowed them whole. And that's going to happen in these days. As you speak truth. God's going to judge those people around you because you're a prince of the Lord. You got the counsel of God. The Bible says you walk into his house. If you leave your peace there, it'll stay. And if they won't receive your peace, you take it up because it's going to be a sad day as soon as you leave that house. It's going to be a sad day. They're going to be calling you from the hospital because your words will be effective in that house, in that relationship. And this is powerful. And so God is going to raise up a people and if you see this, I mean, Joel chapter 2, it says that the, the, the land before them will be like the Garden of Eden. Every precious blossom and fruitfulness will be there. But the land behind them will be a torched, desolate wilderness. It'll, there'll, there'll, be, there'll be fire left behind our blazing trail. And so it says there in chapter 2, in verse, chapter 2, verse 3, a fire devours before them and behind them a flame. The land before them is like the Garden of Eden and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. It's just moving with God in the land, moving with God. 
Wherever righteousness prevails, the glory of God will reflect. Wherever there is no glory, there is no righteousness, it will be shame. So God is faithful tonight to call us to be that bride prepared with fine acts, righteous acts of the saints. As we sing this song, you tell the Lord, Lord, pour out your spirit upon me. Allow me to be filled with your grace, the grace sufficient to honor you, to honor my wife, to hold her honor high like a righteous warrior would, and not to be in harlotries and flirting with the world and leaving unrighteousness as the legacy of shame to our children and our families. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Goes on and on and on and on it goes. For it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I never ever have to be afraid. One thing we Yeah! 